So I'll be talking about CML in place of Dr. Ritchie. So in CML, we've been very fortunate. There's a lot of options in CML that is available that were not available about 20 years ago. So there are many, many um, tyrosine kinase inhibitors that have been approved for CML, and this table is a summary of some of the data for first-line use in various uh, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors. The original trial was the IRIS trial that compared um, imatinib versus interferon with lodocyterabine. And among the key uh, endpoints, um, there were clearly benefit of uh, reaching a major molecular response at 12 months and um, median, at median, median follow-up of 11 years. There does not seem to be overall survival, partly because a lot of patients crossed over to matinib arm less than a year into the clinical study. We commonly use second-generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and I've listed the trials for first-line use of those um, medications on the table. Both the statinib and imatinib and nilotinib versus imatinib data have long-term follow-up data of about five years. And what is clear is that at 12 months, um, there seems to be clear benefit in terms of reaching a MMR at 12 months for both the statinib and nilotinib compared to imatinib. However, when you look at um, overall survival, there still doesn't seem to be difference in either overall survival or progression-free survival. Maybe perhaps that's because about a quarter of patients did cross over in those trials as well. Data with the sat bosutinib is not as um, established. However, in the uh, frontline trial comparing bosutinib versus imatinib at 12 months, there does seem to be benefit in terms of more patients reaching MMR at 12 months for bosutinib as well. So many second-generation um, TKIs as well as imatinib are available for use in CML. So how do we choose um, uh, which tyrosine kinase inhibitor to use first line? In summary, um, the second-generation TKIs do seem to have higher um, chance of re achieving MMR at 12, week, 12 months. However, um, there doesn't seem to be a clear survival benefit in the clinical studies. So in practice, um, what we typically do is for older patients with significant comorbidities, uh, it's perfectly acceptable to use imatinib because imatinib seems to be tolerated better than the other tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Other patients who um, are younger, we tend to use second-generation tyrosine kinase, kinase inhibitors. Um, and among bosutinib, disatinib, and nilotinib, generally speaking, um, the, there are different side effect profiles, um, and we may choose a TKI based on a patient's um, baseline comorbidities. So, for example, if a patient has baseline cardiovascular disease, then you might prefer disatinib or bosutinib. And if a patient has baseline lung disease or history of pleural fusion, then you may want to utilize nilotinib or bosutinib. And if a patient has significant um, gas GI uh, comorbidities, you may consider using disatinib or nilotinib, uh, not bosutinib, because bosutinib is um, associated with significant rates of diarrhea. Of course, in this day and age, um, with the, none of these agents have been um, uh, compared head-to-head, -head. Um, so insurance companies are more and more dictating which um, uh, therapy we use first line. So insurance as well as patient copay may dictate which one of these therapies we utilize for first-line therapy for CML. 
for monitoring, we recommend um, what's established is that we can measure the BCR able with quantitative PCR and. There is an international uh, scale which standardizes the measurements, so uh, recommendation is to use um, a laboratory that utilizes international scale so that you have um, comparable measurements for BCR-ABLE. Patients with CML should be um, monitored with uh, uh, PCR for BCR-ABLE every three months or so, and there's various response criteria that we use in um, CML. Complete hematologic response means that patients have normal CBC, essentially, and with um, a resolution of splenomegaly. Cytogen, complete cytogenetic response means that at FISH there is no um, cytogenetic abnormalities, obviously. And there are other molecular responses based on the PCR. Early molecular response is defined as having less than 10% uh, BCR-ABLE transcript level at three and six months, while major molecular response uh, is defined as having transcript level below 0.1% if you are using international scale or at least three-log reduction from baseline if international scale is not available. Complete molecular response is where you don't have uh, detectable transcript levels, and the sensitivity depends on the laboratory you use. General treatment, accepted treatment goal for CML patients is um, um, having complete cytogenetic response by 12 months, um, defined by less than 1% transcript level. There are some data looking at early response rates. So both, uh, this is from the Desatinib trial, but there's data for nilotinib as well, showing that if you measure the uh, PCR at uh, three months and if you have less than 10% BCR-ABLE at three months, then you tend to have better outcome for CML, whether it be progression-free survival or, or overall survival. So early reduction seems to benefit patients. The problem with this data is that if you look at patients um, who reach complete cytogenetic response, uh, whether it be imatinib or disatinib or nilotinib, there seems to, patients seems to do just as well if you are able to reach complete cytogenetic response at 12 months. So on the left is uh, event-free survival, and the right is overall survival for patients um, who have been treated with imatinib as well as cisatinib and, and nilotinib. And there seems to be clear um, benefit of um, uh, achieving a complete cytogenetic response at 12 months at one year. So that's why this, seems, this is the generally accepted treatment goal. How about um, deeper response? Um, so in this same paper, they looked at patients who reach um, complete cytogenetic response, and they looked at patients who were able to achieve MMR um, at the same time point. And if you actually look at the patients with um, complete cytogenetic response and compare against patients who had MMR versus who didn't, the uh, progression-free survival and overall survival doesn't seem to uh, make, uh, there does not seem to be a difference. So reaching MMR may um, be helpful because it may, may predict that you may be more likelihood of deeping deeper molecular response, which may be relevant if you want to stop the TKI. However, in terms of progression-free survival and overall survival, reaching cytogenetic, complete cytogenetic response at 12 months seems to be good enough for patients. 
Also, one thing to note also is that this is from both uh, nilotinib and dasatinib trials. Um, the, there seems to be a difference in, in terms of reaching MMR for both um, uh, groups of patients, about 40% um, at one year. However, if you look at long-term follow-up data for both of these uh, patients who are on both of the drugs, by five years, um, the rates of MMR reach about more than 70%. So even if patients do not reach MMR at 12 months, if you stay on the drug longer, more patients seem to benefit from the tyrosine kinase inhibitors. So the problem with uh, CML is that um, the, some patients do not respond, and uh, when do we consider switching therapies, if, given that there's many uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors available? In terms of imatinib, what is known so far is that if, if you have optimal response at three months, if you, instead of dose escalating to, um, imatinib to higher dose, switching to nilotinib at that point uh, seems to uh, lead to higher rates of um, uh, molecular response in that instance. However, what is unknown is actually when the optimal timing of switching to an alternate TKI. Um, like we discussed, um, if you even for patients who are not achieving a fast early response, eventually they, more patients may um, respond to TKI. So when is the next op, optimal time to switch uh, tyrosokinase inhibitors uh, if you have suboptimal response is not known? Of course, patients may um, develop um, resistance mutations, and if you look at the long-term data, about close to 10% of patients may develop mutation, resistant mutations, uh, acquired mutations to the ABL kinase domain in nilotinib and dasatinib, as well as imatinib. So if you have suboptimal response and you test for um, tyrosine kinase, uh, kinase domain mutations, and if you have acquired mutations, then you should switch accordingly based on um, resistant mutations. What is known also is that if you have a patient with stable disease, if you have rising BCR-ABLE transcript, that is associated with acquiring mutations. So after you monitor patients, if they have a, a rising uh, transcript level, then you should um, test for uh, acquired mutations in the kinase domain. This is a summary of some of the um, efficacy data in second line and beyond. And what is known is that in there's... Um, all of the second-generation TKIs, as well as ponatinib, have activity after imatinib. And in this, in, for um, imatinib failure patients, for disatinib and nilotinib, there is a, a response rate of about 40-50% after uh, you have suboptimal response or refractory to imatinib. Bosutinib data looked at, um, the trial looked at patients who've had imatinib plus either nilotinib or dasatinib, and uh, major cytogenetic response rates seems to be about 40% with a uh, four-year survival of 78%. Like I mentioned, uh, major side effect of bosutinib tend to be diarrhea. About 83% of patients with bosutinib have some sort of um, diarrhea as well as nausea and vomiting. Ponatinib um, has been used uh, with prior dasatinib, nilotinib, or patients with an acquired T315I mutation. And in the PACE trial that looked at ponatinib, um, more than 90% of patients had uh, at least two prior TKI therapies. And in that very difficult-to-treat population, um, about 40% of patients were able to achieve MMR, and five-year survival in that uh, trial was 73%. 
The main significant side effect of ponatinib is um, cumulative arterial occlusive events, which happened in about 30% of patients, and it seems to be dose-dependent. So this is uh, um, some of the recommendations on what we do when we encounter side effects with TKIs. Every TKI has unique side effects, and I'm, I listed some of the unique side effects of each uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors. For matinib, when, you ha- when patients have uh, fluid retentions, then you, you would typically um, give diuretics and consider holding the drug until resolution. Dysatinib can also be associated with um, pleural fusion, and in that case, you would typically hold and uh, give diuretics and sometimes steroids if there are significant pleural fusions. Dysatinib is also associated with pulmonary arterial hypertension, and it's usually reversible, so you should discontinue um, dysatinib if patients develop pulmonary arterial hypertension. The black box warning with nilotinib is QT prolongation, so patients should have a baseline EKG, and also after initiation of uh, nilotinib, patients have routine monitoring of EKG to uh, make sure they do not have a uh, prolonged QTC. Nilotinib has also been associated with cardiovascular events, so patients should be optimized in terms of cardiovascular risk factors. Bosutinib is... um, associated with diarrhea, but most uh, of the diarrhea is mild, so they can be um, supported with uh, anti-diarrheal medicines. However, if patient has grade 3 or higher, defined as more than seven diarrhea episodes of a baseline, then you should hold bosutinib. And ponatinib, like I mentioned, ha- is associated with cardiovascular events, and it seems to be dose-dependent. So um, for, for patients on ponatinib, their cardiovascular risk should be optimized, and uh, low-dose as- aspirin should be considered. So given all this um, potential side effects, there is an interest in stopping TKIs. And if you have um, optimal response to the tyrosine kinase inhibitors, um, there have been many trials looking at stopping tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Typically, all of these trials uh, require a deep molecular response, at least less than 0.01% by transcript level for at least one or two years. And what is known is that for or any one of the TKIs, the treatment-free response, remission rate seems to be about 40 to 60 percent, depending on the clinical studies. These are from uh, some of the trials, and if you look at the left, which is from one of the European studies where they stopped um, TKIs, um, they're, they're, they're Recurrence of molecular um, recurrence typically happens uh, by about six six months since discontinuation of the TKI. And similar is true for um, nilotinib as well. So if if patients stop uh, TKI, then um, what is recommended is that in the trials, um, having a deep molecular response for longer is, was associated with uh, sustained uh, treatment-free re- remission. And in the EuroSky study, having a response at least below 0.01% for three years was associated with a higher chance of sustaining um, treatment-free re- remission. Current recommendation is that patients should have stable molecular response of at least uh, less than 0.01% for at least two years, um, as documented by several PCR measurements before considering going off of the TKI. And once they um, discontinue TKI, then it is very important that they need monthly monitoring for the first year or so because uh, most of the recurrences occur um, within the first six months or so. And once um, there is molecular recurrence, 
then it is, it is very important to promptly resume TKI and uh, continue measuring molecular monitoring every four weeks until MMR is reached again. And for patients who do not uh, achieve MMR, then uh, you should check the ABO kinase do domain mutations. One thing that I wanted to briefly touch upon uh, for CML patients is pregnancy. Um, um, the CML uh, TKIs may cross the placental barrier, and all patients are advised to practice uh, effective contraception when on TKIs. However, um, contraceptive methods are not perfect, so some patients on, intentionally or in, unintentionally uh, become pregnant. Um, there, so if patient becomes pregnant, uh, there's not a lot of data because um, patients are recommended to um, be on contraceptive medications. But one case series looking at uh, pregnancy patients, um, about most patients who, get, who are pregnant on, with CML, even if they had MMR, lose MMR. However, throughout the pregnancy, very few of the patients tend to lose uh, um, hematologic response. Their transcript levels, even if they had MMR before being pregnant, does rise, and the peak seems to be about 6.8% at 32 weeks. The current standard, um, in this experience, they used interferon with some control, and there were uh, healthy babies born. However, some of the babies had birth defects, uh, ventricular septal defect, and diaphragmatic hernia. And all of the patients who had MMR 4.0 or better um, reestablished re response after delivery um, of the baby um, when they resumed uh, tyrosokinase inhibitors. So currently what we do in practice is that if patients um, are pregnant, then we obviously discontinue the tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And various supportive measures have been used, such as interferon hydroxyurea. If the white blood cell is really high, leukophoresis can be used as temporary control. And um, aspirin uh, can be used uh, if patients have uh, thrombocytosis. One um, recent um, abstract from EHA this year looked at um, what happens in patients who are pregnant on tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and this is from a collected data from the European Leukemia Net Registry. And in this abstract, patients, uh, they looked at 305 uh, pregnancies, not people, but pregnancies on TKI. And about 77% of patients did uh, keep their pregnancy into labor. About 14% induced abortion, and 7% had spontaneous abortion. What was kind of interesting was that 71% um, of patients were on TKI um, after being uh, pregnant, and they were usually stopped in four to five weeks or so. And some of the pregnancies were treated during the second and third trimester. Um, and in some rare cases, uh, imatinib was continued uh, throughout the pregnancy. What was interesting about this abstract was that um, the congenital abnormality rate was low. It was about, it occurred in about 2% of patients. Uh, however, there may be significant um, congenital defects such as polydactyly, hypospadias, um, uh, unclosed foraminal valley, or septal defects. So I'm not here to advocate that patients get pr uh, pregnant on TKIs. However, there's some data suggesting that um, if patients are pregnant, especially second and third trimester, uh, if they're di discovered uh, CMLs in second and thri third trimester, it may be safe to continue um, TKI in certain instances. 
So some of the take-home points for CML are there are many tyrosine kinase inhibitors available for CML. And in first line, um, second-generation TKI seem to offer deeper response, uh, although um, it translating to overall survival and uh, progression-free survival is unknown. Choice of um, which medicine to use first line ultimately kind of depends on the side effect profile and insurance um, for situation for patients. And optimum time for a switch to TKI is currently unknown, but you should consider if patients don't reach um, complete cytogenic response at 12 months or so. And in patients who um, have a very deep uh, sustained uh, molecular response, then you could consider discontinuing TKI. However, that requires monthly monitoring in patients, and that requires a compliant patient. And what to keep in mind is that if patients go off of the tyrosine kinase inhibitor, then most of the molecular remissions, relapses, occur at six months after discontinuing the tyrosine kinase inhibitor. And here are the acknowledgments.